Welcome to r and I'm Shay Howe, your host and the founder of FAM. This episode, I speak with Mashawn Ellis, CEO of the Chicago-based strategic communications firm, Clout. We talk about everything from starting our careers here in Chicago and the black ad agency boom of the 1990s and early 2000s, to total market strategy and why it's problematic. I, of course, could not let him get away without talking a little bit about what it means to him to market while black. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. Now let's get into it with Mashawn Ellis. Rhythm and blues. If I can be a champion to educate consumers on how important their dollars are and the influence that they have, because I don't think they realize how much influence, especially the black dollar, how much influence we have if we choose to use that influence. And what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. Rhythm and blues podcast. Well, welcome to Rhythm and Blues. Thank you so much for joining me. I have today with me, Mr. Mashawn Ellis. This has been such hey. a long time coming. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having I'm, me on. It's, it's, and it's good to catch up with you. Absolutely. This is such a long time coming. Um, we had a, a collaborative event last year mm-hmm. um, in August that you actually couldn't attend. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty bad. Yeah, I looked bad with that one. Yeah, I had to, oh, no, go to no, Wisconsin no. for a pitch, and I heard you guys had a a real good session. A ton of people came out, and folks walked away smarter than they they were when they walked in the room. So, so I hate I missed that. And you had a yeah, a really good absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was really good. That was an entire year ago, and we have not had an opportunity to actually sit down and talk about some of the things that uh, the rest of us talked about. Um, It was a full panel of ladies uh, Mm -hmm. last year. Uh, (laughs) So we'll get a chance to talk about some of that tonight. So I want to give a brief introduction and you can tell me a little bit more about yourself. Um, Serial entrepreneur, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Brand builder for Mm -hmm. sure. You're currently (laughs) the CEO of Clout Mm -hmm. LLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were also the CEO of Lime Green Maroc, and prior to that, you were the Director of Global Corporate Communications and Consumer Marketing Communications at McDonald's. Yep, that is, uh, boy, it, it's funny, you don't you don't take uh, the time to look at what you've done, so to hear you read it, I mean, damn, I did all of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still got a ways to go. Right, still right, damn, <laughs> who's that cat, you know? Right, right, right. So again, welcome to Rhythm and Blues, where we celebrate the rhythm and analyze the blues of Black culture through the lens of marketing and advertising. So Mm. um, it's no secret where we are in the country, and that also has an impact on the industry. So it's important for me to start with, how are you doing? That's a very good question. yeah, it's it's been crazy for for everybody, and uh, and I'm a I'm a father, and I have uh, a 16 year old son, 14 year old daughter, and a 10 year old son, and having to not only are you know they're at home um, e learning, but they're you know we're also having to educate them on what's what's happening you know in in the country right now, and and how that impacts our family, how that impacts uh black folks and and you know what what's happening you know nationwide 
and try to make some sense of it without making them afraid, you know? So it's yeah. uh, on top of that, launching a new business clout, you know, and, and getting a new business off the ground. It's been, it's been, it's been challenging, but I will say the silver lining in it is that the fact that we've been home and I've actually spent more time, uh, quality time, I should say, um, with, with the kids and, and getting to know them and, and, um, you know, uh, a little deeper, you know, they're teenagers now, so they don't tell you much. So <laughs> now that, now that the, you know, I'm home with them, I, I get to, they, you know, they slip up and tell me a little bit more. So, so, but it's, it's been good. It's, it's been good. Um, and uh, it's been good just to reconnect with folks and kind of center again on, on you know, things that I'm doing and, and things that matter to me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, my son started college this week. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, the, wow. <laughs> on the other side of the table that I'm sitting at. <laughs> All of his classes are online yeah. and we were prepared to pack him up and take him uh, down to uh, California. Yeah. And you know, the COVID cases are increasing and he was just like, I don't want to be locked in a room yeah. on campus. So let's just wait and see what happens. So Yeah, but I hate that you know, he just not gonna get that. You remember, you know, I remember being on campus for the first time and nervous, you know, parents are gone and I'm on my own officially. That's like a fun yeah. you know time so hopefully he'll he'll get that at, at some point and that's like my, my daughter she'll be a freshman in high school so she she didn't get her eighth grade dance and wow. she won't get that first day of high school you know we all remember that yeah. so so it's a different time and um, again everybody's adjusting for sure for sure okay so let's start here have there been any standout moments for you in the midst of the rise of corporate consciousness? <laughs> Man, where where do I start with this? Um, I a singular standout moment? No, there's been many for for me. Um, hmm. Even and what I mean by that is my focus you know, with, with clout, um, the new, it's a PR uh, communications agency. And so I've been working with a lot of clients on what to say, how to say it, should you say anything, you know, and, you know, given what's happening and what has been eye opening to me and also disheartening in a lot of ways is, you know, certain major big brands, um, not wanting to say anything, you know, not wanting to get involved. There's no empathy is, is I guess that's the, the part, especially, you know, if these are, I always say if, you know, especially we're talking black lives matter, if, you know, 60, 70% of your client base is, is black and they're supporting your brand. You need to be there on, on the front line and helping, uh, in any way you can. Not saying you need to own the, the the issue, but what can you do from a healing perspective? What can you do from a bringing folks together perspective? What can you do to to assist in uh, righting the wrong? And I sit in these meetings, and I'm not going to name brands, but there there's some jaw dropping moments where it's like, how could you even fix your mouth to say some? blank like that you know what I mean wow. and I think that that's okay and but you're willing to take the black dollar but you're not willing to to stand beside and and help right or wrong you know what I mean or make things right. better so so anyway so there's been 
more times like that to where it's it's been just surprising. It's not in the shadows anymore. I guess that's the thing. And it's that you can't, they can't hide from that conversation now. And so I'm asking pretty direct questions on plans. What are you planning to do? Why not? And you can see how uncomfortable folks are around the table uh, when I press on this. So anyway, just, it's been interesting the last couple of months. The rubber has finally met the road Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for so many brands um, because the conversation is taking place everywhere. Yeah. Employees speaking up, and I've mentioned this before, when I logged into LinkedIn and started to read some of the posts from many of the people that I follow, of course, mm-hmm. you know, I'm black. The majority of my network is black. Yep. Um, I realized that this is a different space, right? Like I agree. there was a um, an agency that people started to walk in and an ownership of identity and a comfortability with speaking their truth, regardless to what that truth was. Mm-hmm. Um, the You have board members who are speaking up and who want answers. You know, you yeah. have agencies like it's coming from everywhere. And I think um, to your point about being invited to the table, Mm-hmm. And then when the actual um, time to work comes about, there's this level of uncomfortability because it's not just a statement. Right. It's a matter of real work and a real plan that needs to be implemented. And you, you hit it on the head. It's, you know, they, you know, in the back in the day, I guess when the first um, movement took place a few years ago, uh, Black Lives Matter, and I think it was right after uh, Ferguson, um, you know, folks got away with just issuing a statement and that, that is no longer acceptable. Meaning we're making these corporations, you know, billions, uh, on consumer dollars. So now it's, it's not just about acknowledgement, it's about accountability and then support. And so when I sit and I talk to clients about Black Lives Matter, I say it's, you know, this is a movement or this is a human rights issue. It's not just a, a black issue. It's a human rights issue. And it's more than just um, issuing a statement and saying, yeah, that's messed up. It is about acknowledging that it's happening, holding those accountable, accountable, and then what can you do to support it? And, and uh, gone are the days of just issuing that statement. Consumers aren't having it. And that's the thing. They're getting smarter and understanding who has power back in the day, you could argue the most powerful entity in this country was, you know, the church. Now it's uh, corporations because they can lobby uh, local state, they can uh, lobby state, uh, city, and even on a federal level, they pump money into economies. So they're the most powerful entities that can influence change. And so you saw it last month when folks were deciding to boycott Facebook and some other brands, how quickly yes. brands started giving money to organizations and supporting right. black businesses and all of that. And so for me, if I can be a champion to educate consumers on how important their dollars are and the influence that they have, because I don't think they realize how much influence, especially the black dollar, how much influence we have if yes. we choose to 
use that influence. And what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg of what's to come with, um, we, you know, black folks speaking with their dollars. Yes. One of the things that I saw pop up right after was, of course, buy black. Right. Yeah. And how many people started to support small businesses and even some of them have had to um, stop taking orders because they literally didn't have the infrastructure <laughs> to support the amount of business that they were getting. Right. Um, so it's a brand new level of consciousness for many of us. And I said this um, on the last podcast, but it was a really big wake up call because I think there is a generation of us. Um, that kind of came up with a different world, yeah. who, you know, went away to school and had, you know, opportunities in corporate America that weren't afforded to the generations before us. Yeah. And so there is a level of, and I said comfortability before, but I think that there's, um, I think just understanding the progress while not yeah. a Words. lot of progress, but just acknowledgement that we've come a little bit further than many of those um, before us. And we stand in that space now. And I think there are yeah. a lot of us that are um, making different choices. And the mm -hmm. most amazing part to me is that there are generations behind us that are also using their voices and watching the way that we are managing this. Um, yeah. So the way they navigate the world will be completely different. Yeah. And I, and I love it. And it's, I'm not going to let you define me. I'm going to control my own destiny. And, and yes. I like that a lot about uh, the group behind us. They are choosing to be entrepreneurs. They are choosing to take a non-traditional route and, and they're being successful with it. And so I hope to see more of that. And I, I feel like it's my job now that I've been on the corporate side, I've run my own businesses for a number of years and I've experienced a lot. So I have knowledge that I can share to make sure that that next group behind me does better than I did. You know, after a while on the corporate side, I knew that I was bigger than that job that I was doing at McDonald's. I was bigger than the person uh, that I was reporting to at McDonald's. And, you know, I was having to wait and I knew I was bigger than that. Why, I, why do I have to do that when, you know, I felt like my time was now and I stepped out on my own and thank God I did it. And now I know it can be done and it appears hard in the beginning, but after a while you get comfortable with it, you get comfortable with the risk of running your own business. And before you know it, you're not even looking back. And so I like that a lot of young people have come to that realization a lot sooner than I did. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I didn't do it until I was mid thirties and you got kids now that are doing it mid twenties and being successful with it. And so I think, you know, the more we can sustain ourselves, um, the better off we will be. Um, yeah, we're still going to need to do business with certain folks, but the more we can build our own, um, the better. The example I was given, you you know this too, because you get the data research of, you know, Black folks set the trends. We would decide what's hot, what's not. Yeah. Uh, we influence other, you know, if you get Black people to buy, you can get everybody else to buy. And that, and that is just true. And that's not me making it up. That that's backed by by data. And I would say, what if we were to spend uh, more with black businesses? And again, I recognize the infrastructure is not quite there yet. So it's a more of an aspirational goal. But think about we've made all these other brands hot. Why is there not a, like a black Gucci? Why is there not a black Nike? 
it should be given the amount Absolutely. of money we spend and how much we promote these brands and go unpaid doing it. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I, you know, if you think about it from that lens, it's like, wow, there should be a ton of black business, billion dollar corporations that are black owned because we, we support those businesses. So I may not see it in my lifetime, but that's something that I'm a big advocate for is black owned businesses and direct our dollars there. I'm also, and yeah, probably at some point this will hurt my, my, my business or my career is I, I, I believe that if you are a brand and over 60 or 70% of your customers are black, your supply chain, meaning the agencies, the folks that work on that Absolutely. business should all look like your customer. Absolutely. And right now, I'm just going to say liquor brands that I've worked on. Um, they sell a ton of liquor in black communities. But when you look at who the agencies are and the brand managers, they're all white and they think they know us better than we know ourselves. And that just rubs me the wrong way. So if I could create some sort of report card or scorecard to look at the supply chain, you know, yeah, they'll, they'll hire some folks on it internally. I'm not knocking anybody's gig. So you got a gig internally and you're in charge of black, you know, marketing or African-American marketing or Hispanic marketing. I'm not trying to take your gig. Um, but we should be looking at the agencies, meaning there shouldn't be a, a all white agency working on something that sells in black communities. And I just, right. I, I, I love to educate consumers on that part of it. They only see the, the front part. They don't see how the ads get made. They don't see how the communication gets made. And it's, it's not people that look like us, you know, right. they'll throw people like us in the commercial, but behind the scenes, there's so many jobs and millions and millions of dollars that don't go back to our communities. And I think that that is part of the conversation that needs to be had to the point yeah. you made earlier about sitting at the table. Like, what does this plan really look like? Yeah. It's more than just multicultural marketing, meaning who's in front of the camera. It's who's behind the camera. It's who's the behind the camera. It's the supply yep. chain. It's your workforce. It's, mm -hmm. it's everything, right? And it needs to be permeated in a level of representation across the board for and, it to work. And having consumers understand, don't fall for the okie doke. When I, what I mean by that is, you know, corporations will make a donation. We're going to give $200,000 to the NAACP and that kind of, no, 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 no. The best, the, the better use of that kind of money is not not a one-time donation. You hire a black agency to to do the work and give them a you know a five ten year contract. That's a better use of of money because again we'll turn around and hire those kids that the white agencies turn away. You know I train and spend time with kids that may not have you know a four year degree from a quote unquote respected university. Um, or they may have graduated from city colleges, but, but they got hustle and they're smart. Yeah. I can I can work with that, but they'll never get a shot at a Edelman or a, a you know a publicist that kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. I give those jobs, I train, and that money goes back into our communities. And so, yeah, I say don't be fooled by yeah they made a million dollar donation here. Look at that supply chain because yeah. that's that creates generational wealth. So there was a time around when we started our careers yes. <laughs> in the agency where there was a black agency boom Yep. around the 1990s, 
um, early 2000s, someone, uh, I was interviewing Larry Arrell, and he mentioned this, and I literally forgot about it from the Marcus Graham Project. Mm -hmm. He mentioned that Black Enterprise used to do a top 100, and there was a list for agencies. I'd forgot about that list. I remember wow, to you're look, right. I remember going to look at the list. I remember it being a super big deal. Uh -huh. At the time, you know, I was super young in the business and it just felt good for our agency to be on the list. And what list at this point? Like there aren't enough notable ones with large pieces of business for there yeah. to be a significant list, let alone a top 100 list. Like what is the difference between that black agency boom and where you think we are now or may be headed? That's a that's a very good question. And and this is all just Michelle Ellis's personal take on it, not backed by data or anything like that. I, I think in the, the uh, early 1990s, um, when we, we saw that boom, um, uh, multicultural marketing or marketing, ethnic marketing uh, was still foreign to uh, general market agencies. And um, after starting to understand, and again, I'm speaking for the general market agencies, starting to understand the population shift to where, you know, you look at millennials, over half millennials are multicultural. And the group behind them, even more so, Generation Z, even, even more so, they're looking at this and saying, shit, at some point, you know, you know, over you know, half the population in the U.S. will be uh, people of color. And um, we need to start to understand that. And so early, early on, you, know, had, you had the Burrells and uh, Global Hue, which is, I think is still around, but, but a number of it, E. Morris was another agency I remember uh, right after college. And they did really well and they had big contracts. And um, the work that they did was authentic and it uh, resonated with the consumer. And again, this was a foreign space for, um, for uh, general market agencies. But again, every agency tries to stay young. So as more you know, young, um, young white kids that, are, that love hip hop, and again, this is early 90s, so you got Biggie, you got uh bdp i now really date myself because I'm, I'm quoting artists you know <laughs> but you you get my point but they were yeah. starting to listen to hip-hop and starting to adopt our culture or participate in our culture i i'll say it that way i i in my mind this is just my theory um uh, you know the leadership or the holding companies or general market agencies recognize the potential down the road which is why they worked with uh the A and A, and you know, I'm not a fan of the A and A um, um, because they worked with the holding companies to create that whole total market BS that mm -hmm. was rolled out in the you know the mid 2000s, late 2000s. They created that that thing, and it gave a platform to say, hey, you know, we're going to talk to everybody, and total market is, is inclusive of everybody, meaning that black folks don't just read or watch black media outlets. They also look at general market stuff. So let, you know, it's more about a total market approach than anything. And so uh, what's different now is that, or what I think is gonna happen now is that 
through Black Lives Matter and sort of this this push to, to hold corporations accountable, I think we might see a rise in um, Black agencies, um, a return of Black agencies to the prominence that we once had um, in early in the, in the 1990s. So you touched on it a little bit, but I want to completely take a look at this no, and yeah. lay it out. Let's talk about the difference between total market yeah. versus multicultural. Yeah. So in my mind, total market is not talking, total market is not segmentation marketing, in my opinion. It's, it's speaking to everybody and speaking to nobody is how I've always felt about that. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, I'll use a quote from Tom Burrell when he, he used to say, you know, black folks aren't, aren't dark skinned white people. And it's kind of that one size fits all type approach in my mind with total market. And I also felt like it was a way to not spend with black media. Um, again, I said on the client side, I said on the agency side and, and I saw it and, you know, there was the attitude of, you know, you can buy general market and still reach enough black folks. So um, there's no need to spend with, with black media. And so again, total market in my mind is a catch all and it's not, speaking directly to the target audience. So again, I'll use the example that I gave. If you are a liquor company, I'm just going to make it up, liquor company, and, you know, again, 60 to 70% of your customers are black and you're not spending, uh, and you're taking a total market approach, are you really making a connection with that, that, that audience versus someone who buys BET that buys on Blavity or some other outlet they're making a, a stronger connection. And um, I would argue that will foster customer loyalty long-term versus the general market approach. So again, in my mind, general market, you're not speaking to anybody and it's sort of a catch-all um, lazy marketing in my opinion. I want to ask this question. If my customer base is already 60 to 70% black, Mm -hmm. and I'm spending the bare minimum mm -hmm. to speak to them, to sell to them. I mean, you know, how much more do I really need to spend and how much more market share could I possibly gain? Like, what is the real yeah. benefit for me to make this kind of investment? Because you have a consumer base who is marginalized and used to and used to being ignored for all intents and purposes. So we find the things that we like and we latch on to it and we buy when we're not spoken to and you know, we we are consumers. Yeah. Anyway, right? So what not necessarily the business case, quote unquote, but what would be the dollars and cents reason why? brands would opt in for that? That is a, a, a damn good question. So, so let me, let me break it down a little bit on the, um, so on the surface, I get it. Meaning if I, you know, I have 70%, you know, certain customer base, um, you know, would my dollars be better spent trying to grow an additional, a new customer base since I already have, you know, do enough to, to not lose or slow down nutrition with, um, with my black consumers, then maybe use those dollars to try to get 
non-black consumers. So, so I get it. And that's probably the mindset. My argument would be in times like this, meaning uh, we are one of the most loyal consumers, um, I would argue. And again, this is based on, on data and you can pull some Nielsen reports and you can see it. Uh, we're loyal to a fault. Um, when we are, I guess when we need the help and what you're going to see is, is a change in that is that we are expecting more from the companies that, that we've been loyal to. Um, and that is not necessarily, I guess it is dollars and cents, meaning at some point we're going to stop supporting you and we're putting you on blast because now we can do it on a global stage through social media. Social media is a powerful, it's, it's been a, a godsend in a lot of ways because we've been able to put a lot of stuff on blast and including corporations. And I think that's going to be the shift because you're right. The attitude has been, well, if we're already getting them and we not spend any money against them. Why would we spend money when, you know, we're already getting them? Um, I think that tide is that that's going to, that's going to change moving forward. Uh, given what's happening in the country right now. And the fact that we have it with each other on a global scale and, and organize and, and focus our efforts on, uh, corporations that aren't doing right or that aren't doing right by us. So I think moving forward, it will become a business imperative to support communities. Because right now, yeah, you're taking the money, but you're not reinvesting back in those communities. You know, you're right. not reinvesting in, in me or my family. Like I'm investing in you to grow your company. Right. And I think consumers are starting to get smart about that. And it's because we've been able to share information with each other. And, and organize in a way that we hadn't you know, been able to in the past. So what do you think this moment means for Black agencies? Oh, man. It, you know, and, and I talk to a lot of owners at other agencies, and there are different perspectives, meaning there are some, uh, and I see it as an opportunity for, for growth, uh, but I also see it as an opportunity to right some wrongs. And some agencies aren't willing to rock the boat because maybe they have, they're part of holding companies or something like that. And you have the independents like me that, you know, have nothing to lose. You know, I believe that we're going to see uh, a return of black agencies, um, how, what they look like. I don't know. So I'll give you an example. Now, if so did the stay at home, working from home approach works, it could be good for black businesses. And what I mean by that is, you know, having little to no overhead because now you can hire staff, you know, from across the country and you guys can work on, you know, stuff together and you're not carrying that overhead because I felt a lot of pressure from uh, clients and, you know, trying to, to model myself after the general market agencies by having the big office space, the expensive office space, but I'm not getting the contracts that the white agencies were getting, but I'm still burning through the rent money you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make payroll and that sort of thing. So I think you'll see a, a, a new version of the black agency where we're lightweight, more agile, especially if corporations lower to borrow. Yeah, I don't have to have an office space on Michigan Avenue to impress you. Um, as long as the work is good, the insights are good, and, and the, the content connects with the consumer, that's all should matter. So um, I'm part of a bunch of groups that are forming collectives 
with each other, pitching stuff together, but also trying to be lightweight and not carry all that overhead. And so we're still working with big brands, um, but that might be a way for us to grow faster because now we're not saddled with all this other debt. Nice. You know, nice. so and that's a that's a big, big part of it. And also, I think uh, hopefully something that I like to see happen. And, you know, again, the other agencies that I uh, that I work with, uh, black agencies that I work with, we all talk about how do we get more people hired on the client side that look like us, right. that can be advocates for us, because right now we don't have many advocates on the client side. And if we do, they they may not have the juice that we need them to have to get some stuff done. And so we're looking at when there are jobs available that pop up, hey, you know, Best Buy is hiring or Johnson & Johnson is hiring. I immediately go to my network of other agency partners and say, who do we know that would qualify for this job? I have a great relationship with this client. Who can we you know, promote to, to, to this client to try to get them hired? Cause that'll be good for right. us. You know, and I also tell clients, um, um, African-American clients that, Hey, you want to support agencies like mine, because guess what? Just like uh, the white guys do, uh, they take care of their agency. So if they ever get laid off on the client side or they're looking for a job, guess where they end up? They end up at those agencies that that uh, they right. were given to. And, you know, I yet to get my black counterparts on the client side to understand that, meaning you want to take care of Michelle Ellis because there will become a day when you get fed up with your boss or they let you go or something. And you need a place to land until you get your sea legs you support me and make sure that I'm around, I'll make sure you have a job. And that's how the white boys do it. And that's how we take care of each other. So I'll get you hired on the client side. And if you ever need to leave, I'll give you a home. It may not be forever, but I'll give you a right. home until you land on your feet again. And again, that's how they take care of each other. I've witnessed that uh, with the general market agencies and clients. And okay. we need to start doing the same thing. We need to start yes. doing the same thing. Yes, we do we do need to start taking care of each other. And I feel yeah. like I've seen Making sure a lot that we get the accounts, you know? Yeah. And again, I'm not knocking anybody on the client side. It's just, you know, I know you're fighting your own fight and you're trying to take care of yourself and make sure you don't lose your job, but there's a way to do it. And you, you create advocates, you create ambassadors for you. And the agencies are a great tool for, for doing that. So if someone's giving you a hard time on the client side, a boss or some, let your agencies help with some of that stuff. You know, we can create surround sound pressure uh, right. on your behalf, you know? And yeah. again, I see general market agencies do that all the time, you know? Yeah. So I have referenced on a couple different occasions marketing while black because it is a multi-dimensional intersection yeah. Um, and we briefly talked about before we started recording, um, being black and having black children and navigating how we feel and what we're going through, um, what, you know, our families are enduring, uh, the multiple layers from COVID-19 to the racial mm -hmm. unrest, and then given the type of work that we do. So it's a, at times, 24 hour fight, right? From yeah. the time you wake up navigating the space to the time you go to bed again. So what does yeah. it mean for you as an agency owner to market while black? 
Yeah, it is. It's 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 rewarding and um, really disheartening at at the same time. And so, you know, I there was a a meme going around that says your black coworkers are not okay, and you know we're still expected to show up and do our jobs when we are at risk. You know, every time my son pulls out of the driveway, you know, you know, in the pit of my stomach, I'm nervous, but I I can't hide him from the world, but I'm nervous. You know what I mean? So it's hard at times to show up, do the work and work alongside folks that truly don't understand it. They can empathize, but they don't under, they don't get it, you know, and I had to break it down in a meeting with a client one day. And again, we were having an open conversation about just, you know, race relations and what's happening in the country. And I had to break it down to him that I could, you know, on my way home from this meeting could be stopped at, you know, by the cops and my life could end. I said, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about your kids going to the mall and being mm-hmm. profiled by the police and could potentially be killed. You don't have to think about those things. And so when I talk about supporting black communities or marketing the black communities, I take it seriously because there's a, there's a, I forget who said it. I think it might've been Martin Luther King that said there, there are two Americas. There's a white one and a black one and that shit still mm-hmm. exists today. Absolutely. And right now through technology, cell phones, being able to film stuff, white America is starting to now get a glimpse into the black world 24 seven and they can't turn it off. It's exhausting being quote unquote, the ambassador for all black people when I'm sitting in these meetings, you know what I mean? And that, that weighs on me too. Meaning, you know, at some point you need to make the effort too to understand, you know, Mm -hmm. and you know, having the one or two black friends is not enough. It is, you know, getting out and, and visiting some of these communities and, and seeing what you can do to get involved to truly understand it. Um, so that weighs heavy on me being sort of the educator in my line of work of educating my, my, my clients and uh, colleagues on what it means to be black, what it means to create marketing campaigns towards people of color, why our images are so important to us because you look at Reconstruction, even before Reconstruction, you know, we were made to look like buffoons and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I had someone say, why, why Black people just seem to be overly sensitive about, you know, everything from music. You say that white people are stealing your music and that sort of thing. And I said, because Black folks, I, I said, I'll use hip hop as an example. We created a billion dollar industry that we don't own any parts of it. And so... When there's an opportunity to showcase, you know, you know, I think a Target commercials, I'm not picking on Target, but just different commercials where you see little white kids dancing to hip hop music. Yeah, that bothers us because you know what? One, you're not giving credit to the, 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 the artists who created the music. And two, you're not even casting black folks to, you know, to be a part of it. And that just rubs me the wrong way. So that wears on me trying to educate folks on why attributing you know, things and, and not being culture vultures is such a, a big deal. And so I spend a lot of time talking about that too. So it's a lot and it's every day, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. 
So what should general market agencies and companies with in-house agencies know to optimize for the best outcome? Boy, that's a, and when you say internal agencies, are you saying agent internal that have um, uh, black folks on their, their team? Or tell, yes. me, tell me what you mean by that. Okay. Yeah. For me, I think the more, so I think about diversity and inclusion around that. And so what I say to clients is that, and, I, and you've seen in some of my posts where diversity is just representation or being invited to the party. Inclusion is, is, is at being asked to dance. And what I, what I mean by that and how I would answer your question is that think about the power of uh, diversity of thought. And so I would say to companies that, and again, this, I guess it's self-serving a little bit because I run an agency, but having outside uh, brain power on on marketing to um, diverse communities is a very powerful thing. And so you have a, your journey is different than mine. Imagine the two of us coming together, right. trying to solve a business problem together, using all of your, your background experiences and life experiences. And I'm doing the same thing. I'll bring something to the table that is different from you. You may bring something because you had some experience happen to you that we, we could crack that cold and solve a, a business problem. And so I say to clients, think about diversity of thought. And so, yeah, and again, I'm not trying to take anybody's job away internally. I think you need folks internally to, to help with some of the internal culture and to also, you know, help keep the, the companies on the right track. But bring in outside counsel, bring in an outside perspective. It's like, you know, there's certain things that I, I don't see uh, about clout that, you know, if I were to sit with you, you would tell me, hey, you'd say, hey, Michonne, you might want to think about this with your business. And so, and it's the same principle with uh, other companies. You mentioned clout. We've talked a little mm -hmm. bit about it, but this is your latest venture. So talk yeah. to me a little bit about clout. And I love the name, by the way. Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah. As you know, I, I ran Lime Green um, for 15 years, uh, about 15 years. And it wow. focused on marketing and advertising to uh, black and brown communities. And we did well. Um, but I saw... PR becoming more needed, especially uh, with the you know the influence that social media has. You know, crafting the right brand narrative, um, handling crisis, handling um, um, issues, publicity, that sort of thing, was you know becoming more and more important. And I saw a business opportunity there. And also, I, I got tired of hitting my head against the wall with trying to get advertising dollars uh, from these uh, corporations. Or they, you know, they would bring us in as consultants. And so we consult with the, the large white agency on a black program and we get paid a consultant fee, but they would go off and make the millions. Um, and I just got tired of it. And I felt like I could uh, make more inroads from a PR perspective. And so when I decided to, you know, sell the remaining um, interest in Lime Green uh, to another group down in Dallas, uh, I took a month off in December. I slept like a baby. And then in January <laughs> this year, decided that uh, I wanted to truly focus on PR, corporate communications, crisis management, publicity, which is where I started. 
once I planted that flag in January, it's been nonstop ever since. And again, we walked right into COVID-19, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, there, there are brands who, you know, not sure what to do, um, how to say what to say. And they're dealing with internal issues, executives getting fired, all kinds of craziness. And so uh, now's the right time for clout. And also, um, when you look at how fragmented the media is right now, so I sit on the side, PR sits on the side where we can tell the right stories. We can make sure that, you know, all perspectives on all sides are told. And um, through PR is a great way of doing it. So I'm loving it, uh, what I'm doing, and um, the agency's growing, and, and I thought I'd do really well. Awesome. A bit of a visionary you were. <laughs> yeah, right. Who, who knew? You know? Who knew? Yeah, no, it, it's, been, it's been good. And I'm glad that um, I, I was able to maintain my, my independence and um, start another business. And um, I get to do it my way. And I absolutely love that. Love it. That is amazing. So where mm-hmm. can everyone follow you and the <laughs> Because they're going to yeah. need to get in touch with you. Lots of folks yeah. need you right now. Yeah, you can uh, definitely look me up on LinkedIn. It, it's straight out uh, Michonne Ellis. On Twitter, it's at Michonne Ellis. Um, you can go to our website at cloutllc.com and uh, hit me up. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always looking for young talent. So if um, there are folks out there that are looking, definitely give me a shout. Um, if I have that need, I'm willing to talk to you about it. You know, I want to be an active uh, uh, partner in the marketing uh, PR community. So continue to work with you. And we need to do more programs once we're able to, to get out and move about um, because we, we need support systems like the one that, you know, you've created. And kudos to you for, for leading us. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Totally appreciate that. So the last question I always ask because the title of the po- or the name of the podcast is Rhythm and Blues. Uh-huh. So what is in your playlist? What have you been listening to? It does not have to be Rhythm and Blues. I always uh-huh. make that caveat. You know what you've been listening to? Tell the truth. So so I'm a, I'm a mix of old school and new school. I I I have to admit that I like the baby. I, I do. I, I know, do too. <laughs> I, I like the baby. I, I, I do. I like I do it. Uh, ASAP Ferg is another one that gets heavy rotation. Okay. Uh, I playlist when I'm working out. So those two get a lot. I'm old school. So uh, I will throw on some uh, BDP, uh, Tribe Called Quest. I'm in that mid 90s. So it's everything from Far Side to Souls of Mischief, you know, I, I love, okay. I still love that kind of stuff. So more of that jazzy rap. So that's, yeah. that's in heavy rotation on my playlist. But the new stuff is, you know, the baby, the uh, fur are uh, the ones that I'm liking right now. Nice. I've said once my son becomes an actual adult and leaves the house, I will have no idea what is going <laughs> on. Because the only right. reason I know who that is, is because he plays it for me. The yeah, the same, same here, same here. And I was making fun of the name the Baby, but they were playing the music. I'm like, I actually like this, you know? <laughs> and then I pulled out my phone and did this uh, on the slide, the Shazam, you know, and I got yeah. this song. <laughs> so I didn't ask him to give it, I just I Shazam did it and then I put it on my playlist. <laughs> right. Yeah, I like the Baby too. Um, I yeah. like the Baby too. Yeah. Well, it was a wonderful conversation. 
Thank yeah, you so very much for joining me again. Um, and I want to take a pause and say this. I randomly had this um, desire to have a network of people who did what I did um, that mm -hmm. was similar to growing up in agencies um, that were black because I worked at eMorris for a while uh -oh. and that was a total experience. Um, and I was longing for that camaraderie. And I decided, okay, well, let me see if I can kind of get something started with fam. And you were literally the first person to reach out to me on LinkedIn, like, hey, I see what you're doing. Um, you know, let's have a conversation. And that one thing, it's been over a year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. And that one moment was the encouragement and the support that I needed. And you've been more than a supporter. Um, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I really do. Thank you, Michonne. Uh, that's all good. And, you know, I saw what you were doing and it was needed. And the fact that you raised your hand saying, you know what, I'm going to get this done. I, I had no choice but to help because it, it benefits all of us if we stick together and learn from each other and share resources so that's what it's all about thank you again um and it won't be so long yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do it off You're of right. the podcast to make sure we can talk talk <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm down with that I'm down with that well thank you so much again thank you for having me appreciate it